You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 70, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. I'm really excited that starting today, we're going to be posting videos of our podcast interviews on YouTube. So check out and subscribe to our new YouTube channel. And as always, go to our website at technologyformindfulness.com to get free tips for beating digital distraction and for being more focused and productive and, and creative and just happy generally in your digital life. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be speaking with Charlie Hartwell, the managing partner of Bridge Builders Collaborative. Charlie is part of a group of successful investors who've been investing in startup companies in the space of mental wellness, consciousness, and spirituality. You can find out more about Charlie at shiftit.com. That's S-H-I-F-T-I-T.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Charlie Hartwell to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the interview that you're about to hear with Charlie Hartwell, you'll hear him talk about the kinds of startups and entrepreneurs that he and his investment partners are looking to invest in these days. And of course, you can hear his complete answer in the full interview. But one thing he said that I found really interesting was that he's looking for founders, CEOs who are open to, willing to, looking for uh, working more collaboratively as, as members of a team, more so than in the old days when you had a founder CEO who was running everything hierarchically from the top down. And he said, that's really not what they are looking for in new companies. So I'd really encourage any of you out there who are entrepreneurs or thinking about starting a new venture, particularly in the mindfulness or health and wellness space, to, to really take that to heart. And you can, if you're a mindfulness practitioner, you can use your mindfulness practice to look inwardly and take stock of, you know, in what ways might you have a tendency to want to really control and hold on to your idea or your, the implementation of your vision in your business. And look, it's totally understandable. Every entrepreneur is guided by a passion and a vision for solving some problem that they see out in the world that's really hurting people. And that vision is something that every entrepreneur believes strongly is something that can really help people if their business is successful. So it's a natural tendency to want to really hold on to that baby of yours in the form of the business and guide it, but perhaps too tightly. So to the extent that mindfulness can also help you learn to let go of things and let things take their natural course, I suggest that you you do that in your business and, and really listen to what Charlie Hartwell has to say about the value of working more as a member of a team in which different people can complement each other in terms of their relative strengths and weaknesses and what they bring to the table. There's lots of good writing and thinking about this from a business perspective these days. A book I read about a year ago is a good example called Rocket Fuel. It's specifically about the way in which you can successfully set up what they call the visionary in the company and the integrator in the company to work together. Very often, the visionary is the CEO and the integrator is the COO, chief of operations, the person who makes that powerful vision of the visionary work practically on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's just one framework in which to think about this. But the bigger picture is to uh, think about in your own company, in your own workplace, 
and whatever other organization you're in, you know, how can you be more open to working collaboratively as a member of a team, whatever project, division, company you're running? You know, are there ways in which you might be taking too tight a hold on the reins in a way that is counterproductive, both for you and your team members and, and the company as a whole? And are there ways in which you can hold on a little bit more loosely to be even more successful. So I hope that's helpful. And I think you're really going to enjoy the upcoming interview with Charlie Hartwell, who's an investor in health and wellness startups. Hi, Charlie, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hey, Robert, it's good to be here. Thank you for this time today. Oh, you're welcome. I, I'm really glad to have you because you bring a, a new perspective to the podcast. We've had 65 plus episodes. We've had people from the tech world, but you, you bring a real broader perspective to this as someone who invests in mindfulness-related companies and who can see and is involved in helping to guide the direction of the industry I wonder if you could just start out by giving our listeners and viewers a little bit of background, you know, about what you do, what your involvement has been, and, and we can take it from there. Great. So I'm the managing partner of something called the Bridge Builders Collaborative, which is a group that got together about nine years ago when the science of contemplative practice and mindfulness was getting to a stage where the science was proving the efficacy of the practices. And the investors that I work with, the original investors, three gentlemen named Scott Krins, Jeff Walker, and Austin Hurst. And they sort of said they were involved in the Mind and Life Institute, which my wife got me involved in. And they said, if, you know, to create social impact, how do we take the science and bring applications out to market? And the best way they thought to do that was to uh, invest in startup companies. And so I got involved because they had this vision and they needed somebody to answer the question is there anything to invest in this space? And they found me. Mm. And, you know, it was really started with a question. Can you help us find things to help scale through investment? So, you know, eight years later, we've invested in 12 companies. We have seven partners and the industry movement words are limiting here, but whatever that is, is going to scale globally. Yeah. And, you know, you've invested in some of the, the big name companies that people know about, uh, Headspace and Insight Timer. And we've had Christopher Plowman on here. And as you said, I mean, there's just been a, such a sea change in a relatively short period of time from mindfulness being something that was maybe considered more on the fringes, not a lot of people engaged in. And now some of these apps have many, many millions of people using them. It Tell people just a little bit about what, what changes you've seen, you know, in the industry from whatever perspective you think is, is interesting, you know, in terms of what developments there have been. Yeah, maybe the best way to talk about that is kind of the way that I look at things when you create a global movement or scale, how do you get ideas, concepts, companies, whatever, through the distribution systems of how, you know, this third dimensional reality works on our planet? Mm. And when I look at, you know, the companies that we've invested in and, and some of the ways that we've supported those companies, it's been, you know, to show the efficacy to companies to go and do even deeper dives with insurance companies, with the healthcare system. Uh, all of those distribution systems take different level 
uh, different amount of investment and time to help help them to either pilot these type of solutions or bring it into their you know to their channels to their employees etc. And so over the years, I think that whether that's those distribution systems or the education system or the military, all of them have had different paths of why they've brought the, you know these kind of solutions in. I think what they're seeing is that if the solutions are done in a way where the UX is really good and people enjoy it, that their employees or, you know, people on their teams, customers, et cetera, you know, they see different types of benefits from these solutions. And so they're not only bringing them in, they're bringing them in for very different reasons. And all of that, I think, has created a large and still early stage movement to making things like mindfulness and contemplative practice mainstream. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, on this podcast, we're often focused on the experience of the individual end user of these products, what the benefits are for them, maybe challenges are for them. It's great that you're telling us about the other perspective from the perspective of a company like a Headspace or Insight Timer trying to grow and scale the challenges they might have getting their message across to a different type of customer, like you mentioned, insurance companies or healthcare providers, schools. What what are some of those challenges, and you know how have they had to be overcome? Maybe in in any surprising ways. Well, the first challenge, and this is you know more years ago, is just to help people to understand that there were there was actual science for consumers. It's one thing, but if you're going to take this into an organization or into a healthcare se- setting where you're going to recommend, you know, these types of solutions, you need some efficacy. So the science was absolutely instrumental. And really, you know, the science had to translate to from the science of mindfulness to the science of the actual solution. And that solution was not just about whether it worked, but whether it's engaging, because you can have something that really works scientifically to help someone, but if they don't actually use it, then it's not going to create the benefit that you want. So in a lot of companies, they had to, you know, as people were selling these programs, they had to, they had to show the science, they had to show the efficacy. And then over a period of time, they had to show that employees wanted this, would use it, and were benefiting from it. Yeah, I mean, we, we all know that with all technologies these days, apps and otherwise, people have a lot of choices, including the choice to not engage. You know, I, I work with a lot of companies in my legal practice, and they're constantly aware of the fact that at any moment, someone who's actively using their product can stop. Yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing binding them to keep, to keep going. But it sounds like, you know, you've said that the companies you're working with have had a lot of successes in this. It must be because they work well for the for the people using uh, the software. Have there been ways that you can speak about in which any of the the products have had to be maybe tailored in different ways, or the training related to them has had to be tailored in certain ways to these different contexts in which they're used? I think in every situation, you're actually tailoring it. So for two of our companies, uh, like Paratherapeutics and Happify, they've had to tailor their product so that it gets ready to be approved by the FDA so that it, you know, the science is that good so that they can use their solution to be able to show that the FDA, you know, believes in the rigor behind the programs. 
once you've gotten that FDA approval, then you need to go to doctors like a drug company would and say, here's how you use this. Here's how it have benefits. Here's how to write a prescription for software. There is software that includes mindfulness that's been approved by FDA and it actually is going into doctor's offices. So that's one way of customing. Another is to go into the, an, a regular organization like a company and say, what is it that you need? What are your pain points? So if you're running a nuclear facility, you want people to be focused Safety is your number one issue. And so you're customizing a solution so that employees can use, you know, use your product to really get focused, to have, you know, clarity, to be more in the moment. Whereas for someone in the, you know, in the, in the legal profession, and I think a lot of legal, you know, you're, you're a counsel and, and a lot of counsel, you know, they want their employees, their lawyers to be better listeners, to be more present to what is happening in a courtroom setting. So for each different company, you need to customize it for the needs of those employees. And one of the benefits that I have found in these solutions is there are so many different reasons why products or solutions might, you know, might be helpful. It might improve customer service. It might be something you know, to help improve or reduce anxiety or depression. It might improve productivity could be around safety. There, you know, I, I came up with a list of like 16 different benefits. And if, if a company's, if one of our companies is really listening to the marketplace, they'll customize to the needs of that client. Yeah. And I'm curious to know also what kinds of, I'd say, internal challenges there might be. I'm sure you're dealing with people within these companies, the founders or otherwise, who are coming from maybe a traditional mindfulness background. Maybe they're familiar with teaching meditation in a small face-to-face setting, I, I suspect they may already have feel some internal tension about launching a product in the first place. Now you're talking about doing it on a large scale through a corporate setting where maybe they have to tailor how the teaching is being delivered to different kind of customers. Are there, you know, I'll just say organizational challenges there in, in making sure everyone within that team is on board, aligned, and, and make sure that they feel comfortable with how this is all working. I have spoken to some other people on other podcasts about this, maybe cult, almost cultural dynamic that can go on trying to bring mindfulness, which has been a, a much more individual, spiritual practice for many people, and then trying to bring it more mainstream into the product setting. I th- I, maybe I'm not being entirely clear, but I think you, I, I, you probably know what I, I'm asking about. Let me let me see if I can. This was a, a more of a, a problem early on, at least as I experienced it. Was you know when these practices were beginning to go to mainstream, there were many people, particularly in the Buddhist communities, and in you know that sort of that were taught these in from an Eastern perspective, they were very concerned about how it would come into a Western society. And they were very concerned about like exchanging money for it, and they were concerned about you know, whether you would lose the rigor, as some would argue happened in yoga. I think those are sort of early challenges. So as this movement has, you know, has progressed so quickly, there has been some backlash, you know, that I've seen, you know, uh, articles about mindfulness, etc. But I have to say, having been involved in a bunch of different global movements, there has been less resistance, less skepticism than I ever anticipated with something coming, you know, this mainstream this quickly. So 
what a resistance in a company might be. I think it's less about whether or not, you know, they're commercializing an Eastern practice, you know, that's got, that's from lineages. And more so, I think the industry could face challenges about what claims are you making against it? So if you're saying this is, you know, going to help you, then you need to have specific proof. And my sense is that as the movement continues to grow and it can, it's more competitive, et cetera, that is a challenge that we're going to face is what are the claims that you're making? And at some point, (laughs) you know, the, the FTC or the powers that be, they might actually weigh in on that. I was just going to ask, I would assume at some point, if you were to want to say something like this cures addiction, you know, that's, that's, that's a medical claim that you probably need to have substantiated in a certain way or even treats, whether it's cures or not. Okay, very interesting. Do you have any, any idea from your experience why there was maybe less resistance than in other cases? My sense is that part of it is that our need for these solutions, our stress levels as a society are so high and the reasons why people are integrating these, you know, these solutions uh, are because, because there are very big problems that right. we think. And so if these types of solutions are making their way and helping people in some way and people are seeing benefit from it, then that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, just a few years ago, I went back and uh, read John Kabat-Zinn's uh, Full Catastrophe Living, the 40th anniversary edition of it. And there was an introduction by someone, I'm not remembering exactly who he was, but I think he was a Western Buddhist monk who talked about his initial skepticism to MBSR back in the 70s, <laughs> you know, and how he, he, you know, was won over by exactly what you said, the ways in which he saw it helping people in their lives. You know, and to paraphrase, he said something to the effect of if our goal is to alleviate suffering, MBSR was doing a lot of that. And so he came around to being really supportive of it because the proof was in the pudding. Yeah. And, you know, John's a good friend. What I really appreciate, and I think another reason that this has had less backlash is there was early concern that this was a marketing tool for Buddhism. John, I think, was pretty instrumental in taking a practice and making it, you know, secular and then doing the research behind it. And my sense is, you know, there will always be place for a Buddhist meditation app, for instance. There's nothing wrong with that serving the Buddhist community. But but many of the practices, you know, that we've supported or companies we've supported are really they're about secular. And mindfulness really isn't at the end of the day about Buddhism at all. I'm not a Buddhist. But I appreciate, you know, I appreciate the wisdom of the tradition. But really, I, I, you know, we probably wouldn't invest in something that's a Buddhist app. We, we want to invest in things that have scientific validation to, you know, to help people. Yeah. And so I wonder, so the fact that these are helping people, I think, is beyond question at this point. I wonder if you could speak to, we talk a little about the past, you know, about the present in terms of what are the current challenges. And you know, as an investor, the flip side of every challenge is an opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) So that'll get us a little bit to what are the edges that the industry or some of the companies individually might be at now, the growth edges, the challenges, the limitations, maybe the requests that are being made from customers and desires, and where you see 
that potentially heading in the in the future? So we've we've had many years, and I'm going to talk about this from an industry perspective. Sure. Um, an industry, a global industry is being created, and there are something like 3,000 mindfulness apps. And many of them, you know, hundreds of them are out trying to raise capital. And at the end of the day, while many might be small, you know, sort of small, successful niche products, there are not going to be 20 leading mindfulness apps. So one of the challenges now is how do you differentiate your product as it goes mainstream? And my sense is that it's going to be more and more challenging, you know, for somebody to come up with a new idea to take mindfulness per se, you know, to scale. I think that's already being, you know, that's being done. It's going to be, you know, Calm, which we're not investors in. They raise a tremendous amount of money. Headspace, which we are investors in. They're serious players in this field. Insight Timer, we're investors in that. You know, those are sort of the top three as I see it. Then there are, you know, there are three or four underneath that that are doing well and growing. But, you know, I think it's going to be really hard to start another mindfulness concept. Then I think there is another challenge, even for mindfulness apps to say, okay, so we have a mindfulness app. Is that all we're going to offer? Or where, where does that lead to? You know, having a practice is great. But if you're just sitting on a mat at home alone, uh, at some point, that's kind of limiting. So I see that where society is asking us to step forward further are actually to go past mindfulness. Or some might argue, you know, John, if John was sitting here, he might argue it's actually going deeper into mindfulness. But, you know, what we're looking for at Bridge Builders is to kind of go beyond the practicing 10 minutes a day on a mat at home and more into connecting deeper with yourself and deeper with your community and deeper into your social wellness or your emotional wellness or your spiritual wellness. And really what I'm seeing is a need for communities because people don't know how to connect anymore because of social media and tech, you know, the types of things you talk about on your show. I think mindfulness, you know, on its own still has a long ways, you know, to go. It's going to continue to grow. But we as bridge builders are actually asking the question, you know, how do we go deeper uh, into the human experience and support entrepreneurs that are that are helping to sort of bridge, you know, the human energies that make social change possible? I'd like to uh, follow up on a couple of things you just said. Uh, Both were about ways in which to work on going deeper. One thing you mentioned was communities. And I remember when I spoke to Christopher Plowman on the podcast, which I think was about two years ago now, that's when they were starting to work at Insight Timer on developing uh, and growing the community aspect of the app. And people can obviously check that out. If anyone who's been involved in meditation face-to-face and a sangha or other group Know, knows the experience of that meditating with other people, whether there is someone leading that or not, you know, that has a different, uh, exper- a different flavor to the experience. And so I wonder if you can speak to, I know you're speaking from an industry perspective rather than about any individual company, but uh, can you speak a little bit more about that community building aspect and where it might be able to go in the digital world? Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, first, I'll talk about Insight Timer. I love Christopher. He's one of my favorite entrepreneurs that we support. I love his vision. I love his commitment to the teachers on the platform. I love his commitment to community. The other day, 
you know, for instance, you know, I was done with my session. I, I actually use Inside Timer every day because I really like the community. Like I get done with my meditation and I just had this curiosity. If I go through, you can see everybody that's meditating at the same time. And I went through and said, how long will it take me until I find meditators from 20 companies? Yeah, 20 companies, not companies. And it was so fascinating to just see where all the different people were that were meditating at the same time that you were at. And I just love that concept of saying, I'm not meditating on my own. I'm meditating with a group that's, you know, somewhere between, you know, eight to 10,000 people at any given time. And knowing there's like 500,000 other people on that platform in a day, that's, that's like a global field of energy as, as I look at it. But as I look at our uh, other things that we're invested in, we have a company called Fabric, which is really trying to build the social wellness uh, category because the loneliness epidemic in our society is so significant that what they've built is a tool to help you be more intentional about your relationships, more intentional about choosing who are the 50 people that I, you know, up to 50 people that I want to stay connected with and what's my intentionality around how often I want to connect with them. And, you know, for some people, you know, how, what's the best way of, you know, having conversation starters with those people. My hope is that it's more of an early stage company, but they're, they're filling a niche. I think that people are feeling that they don't know how to connect with other people anymore. And, And our traditional social media channels are not doing it for us. So we look in the companies that we uh, invest in, it's one of the things we look for is, you know, is there a community? Yeah. I mean, bravo to you because this has been the promise of social networking companies is that they would bring people closer together by connecting online. And although that does happen to some extent, we all know about the the downside or dark side of that, the ways in which people, you know, on, on social media platforms can end up being connected digitally, but not emotionally or personally. So yeah, I really appreciate the the effort to try to find it. Because look, personally, I believe that the technology has the potential to bring people together in the way that that we've been promised. I mean, I don't think that's a false promise inherently. It's an incredible thing. I always tell people, like, look at this conversation you and I are having right now. <laughs> it's yeah. direct. It's focused. We're connecting individually. We'll be able to post this online and share it with lots of other people in a way that we wouldn't be able to do if we were just sitting in a room together. You know, there, there's so much positive potential from all of this. We just need to, to catch up and find, find new ways of using it. But let me talk about, ask you about this other aspect of deeper, because when you, you use the word deeper, you also mentioned it in connection with individually going deeper. And, you know, we chatted for a few minutes before the interview and talked about the ways in which people uh, well-intentioned can, can end up getting, you know, mind, exposed to mindfulness online and can end up over a certain amount of time staying at a fairly shallow level with their exposure to mindfulness and not progress in a way uh, that they might be more traditionally if they had a teacher who could be attuned to them and guide them and, and, and help lead them through the, the challenges and the roadblocks and the plateaus, you know, that occur like in any other practice you might work on. Uh, it's probably lots of other reasons why, why people now get exposed maybe at a more shallow level 
over a longer period of time in some circumstances. So I don't know if that's part of what you're talking about, trying to develop the companies and the industries in a way that will help support people to go deeper into themselves. And I wonder if you could talk about that. Well, it's funny, you know, as, as you said, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, my, my wife, who I call the wisdom of my family, you know, said to me, you know, two years ago, you've been investing in the gateway drugs to higher levels of consciousness, and now it's time to go deeper. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of you know, from a universal perspective, I was, I was like, oh my God, she's so right, as, as is typical, if I, if I listen to her. And then all of a sudden, even within our group, we brought on a new partner called Bo Shao. Bo had just, uh, was just in the process of la- launching Evolve Ventures, a $100 million fund on his own. I mean, he's a bridge builder partner, but he's got his own fund that's dedicated to spirituality and consciousness. So all of a sudden, you know, the attention gets set. We find Bo, with, there's such resonance, and our current partners start asking the question, okay, so great, we started, we, we funded this industry, and we funded things like Headspace, we funded things like the Muse Headband and eMindful and other companies, and those companies don't need us as much anymore uh, from a pure investment perspective. There's other investment dollars out there to invest in those companies. So how do we take things to the next level? How do we create conscious communities? How do we help people to go deeper into either the stories that they tell themselves, the conditioning that we all receive in our communities and families, you know, when we're young or the trauma um, that uh, that holds us back? And to your point, if you just are using a mindfulness app, you you don't have somebody to challenge you. You don't have somebody to listen to you and hear you and to be able to help you look at things that you may not be able to access on your own. So we're looking now for things that will help people to have tools and resources and communities and, you know, even supporting, I mean, we're looking at supporting the alternative practitioner space. How do we help bring that, you know, to scale in a way that it's not today? Because I think all that's really important. We're here in community and community, we can't just do this journey by ourselves. Yeah, that's really, really great. It seems like it's the next logical step and could could has the potential to help support people in, in, in going deeper. I wonder if there's any uh, companies you're working with who do anything that uh, crosses digital and in-person. You know, I know in the tech world in general, uh, there's been a lot, I know, of, let's say, apps that help people meet up at a bar. You know, mm-hmm. so it's an app, but it helps people in... I hate to use the term meat space, and that's an old term, <laughs> the real world. And, and is there any thinking about that or current activity going on in the digital mindfulness or other types of health and wellness companies that you're working with? So first of all, many of our companies are sort of built to be a reference or an intermediary point between somebody that helps someone and someone else. We have a company called Glue that's really all about uh, helping champ what they call champions to help people with personal growth journeys. So they're a technology that enables that, and they want to create those opportunities for that connection and make them actually better. Then there's companies like our company Meet Mindful is an actual dating service for people interested in authentic living, yoga, consciousness, spirituality. So that whole thing is meant to get people to connect more on a romantic level. I think that, you know, we're like Insight Timer, 
I think they've announced this, so I, I, I hope I'm not revealing anything <laughs> that's confidential. But, the, you know, their whole thing is how do they support teachers? So, you, you know, there are 5,000 teachers on the platform. They're always thinking, how do you build the communities and, you know, revenue opportunities for teachers? And one of the things they're going to do over the next year is to help to be able to say, hey, this, you know, on, this, on the app, if you want to go on a retreat with Sharon Salzberg, here's her next retreat. Or if you want to go to this concert with someone who is a musician on the platform, you can find that right on the platform. So that people actually gets people off the platform and into communities of practice. I know that there are other people, I mean, we're, we're, our group isn't, isn't all investors and 10% happier, but a couple of them are. And one of the reasons why, you know, some of our members wanted to invest is because they actually are thinking a lot about this. Like, get people off of the app and get people into communities for, you know, for a day or for a couple of days and do this work together mm-hmm. because I feel as though getting people together in communities and sanghas or whatever. I mean, just, it helps everyone with their own practice. So I think that our companies will increasingly look to how, if they're not connecting people now, they're going to connect people now and they're going to continue to look at how to build uh, communities. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, so we've been talking a lot about what's like at the cutting edge, what's coming next, what directions are things going in in the the mindful mindfulness industry community. And I want you know very often at the end of these uh, these interviews, I ask people to give some practical advice to people. It's usually about what they can do in their own lives because you're an investor and you work with companies. I'm thinking of taking a little different direction, which is if there are mindfulness entrepreneurs out there, whether they're a teacher or tech developer or some combination of the two, would you be willing to share, you know, if they were to come to you right now with a pitch, you know, what is the kind of next thing you're I'm not saying specific business idea, but in general, you know, what is it that you're looking for now in the next phase that would really knock your socks off from a, from a new company coming to you? Well, I think, I, I think we've been talking about part of this. You know, what is the community of practice that you're trying to create? Uh, and that doesn't have to be mindfulness community per se. It might be a, pe- it might be a group of people who are recovering how do we get those types of people connected? It might be people who are going through cancer. How do we get those people into communities of support? So what I'd say to entrepreneurs of what we're looking for uh, are, you know, what's the community of practice that you're trying to build? What is your level of consciousness? How much work have you actually done? How much are you willing to continue to do your own personal work around this? How, how willing are you to go deeper? When we see big egos, we tend to walk away even if the idea is really good because we're looking for integrated people where it's not all about them. It's really about their teams and their mission and that you know they're able to collaborate versus an old hierarchical structure that I learned in business school, which is about you know sort of this dominant suppression model uh, of one man typically leading an organization and having all the answers, that doesn't work for us anymore. So how do people collaborate? Then we look at how is your product or solution going to improve the collective well-being of society, and what change are you going to create? 
So, you know, you can go into nuances there of saying, okay, so what's differentiated about your product, you know, versus what else is out there? What's kind of ownable that is your intellectual property? So I look at all those kind of things, but in general, that's the type of things that we're looking for. Well, that's super helpful. I hope that there are some budding entrepreneurs out there who've heard that and taken your your advice, you know, to heart given your long and extensive experience in the industry. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Like I said, you bring a really different perspective to the conversation, which I think is really important. I know a lot of our listeners are using mindfulness apps, other health and well-being apps. They're mindfulness practitioners. I'm sure we have uh, entrepreneurs, business people as well listening. I really appreciate this and uh, all of the work that you're doing to help uh, these companies uh, develop and, and flourish. And as you said, the ultimate goal is to help people, you know, and help help raise uh, consciousness and well-being throughout the world. So thanks, Charlie, so much for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Well, great, Robert. Thank you for the time. Thank you for your questions. Appreciate, you know, the, the, uh, the intention of what you're doing and the audience that's listening. So thank you. And just to leave uh, people, uh, I'm sure we will put everything in the show notes, but where can people uh, find you, find out more about you um, and your group? bbcollaborative.com is our website. You can find about, out about me on Twitter at Shifted Institute is uh, the name of my wife and my, my business. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Those are places to find me. Great. Yeah, we'll post all of those on the show notes and the website. So thanks again, Charlie. Thanks for being here. All right, here. Robert. Bye okay. now. Okay, bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Charlie Hartwell, the managing partner at Bridge Builders Collaborative. You can find out more about Charlie at shiftit.com. That's S-H-I-F-T-I-T dot com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast and our YouTube channel and rate and review and share the episode with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. Don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com to get free and practical tips for beating digital distraction and for being more productive and focused and creative and happy with your technology. Right now, if you go to our webpage and sign up for our free mailing list, you'll receive a free guide on how to manage your technology use and achieve balance with your tech. The guide is just full of simple and practical tips that you can use to beat digital distraction and take back control over how you use technology. I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with Ashley Sumner, the CEO and co-founder of Quilt. See you then.